Hi and welcome to episode 27 of the Page One Podcast. I'm Marco. I'm Tarek. And as you'll hear, maybe, we are not in the same room. <laughs> we are doing this over Skype because, of course, we are now on lockdown because of these... Covid lockdown. Yeah, mad and scary times that we're living in. Um, but we want to keep bringing you the Page One Podcast just now. Uh, we want to d- help distract from all that horrible news out there so for yeah, those turn off, turn off the news and just turn on the page one podcast exactly exactly be inspired rather than be scared i think is, is the way to go i mean i mean to, i mean to be fair there is you know as bad as the news is right now um you know i see it as possibly an opportunity for extra writing perhaps. yeah yeah we're all going to be stuck around the house a lot more so there, if, you know if you want to write then that now's a good time to start writing and there's a lot of a uh, lot of material out there that, that yeah. you could you could write about. But if you're just joining us for the first time, I should say that the Page One podcast is a podcast where we speak to writers of all kinds, authors, screenwriters, comic writers, video game writers, about their writing process, about their history, about their work, and just try and get as many hints and tips as possible. And every week we do a new guest, but this week, Tarek, who have we got? We have return of the mic, yes, Mr. Carey. Mr. Carey himself has returned. Yeah, Mike Carey, uh, or Mr. Carey, as his author name is, uh, was first on the podcast a way back in episode six, I think it was. Before uh, we knew what a huge hit the show would be. Yes, indeed. We were indeed. so innocent back then. <laughs> all, all the way back eight months ago. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, we, how times have changed. Those I'm sure you all know who Mike is. He's written. He's the author and screenwriter of Girl with All the Gifts, the hit zombie film. Uh, also, a comic writer for things like Lucifer, The Unwritten, X Men. Um, and the reason that we wanted to speak to him again is that he's got a new book coming out very soon on the 14th of April, and yeah. it's called The Book of Coley, K O L I, and it's it's book one of what he's calling the Rampart trilogy, and it's another sort of post-apocalyptic story but very post i think it's set hundreds of years past the sort of fall of civilization um and uh, we talk about all of that about the world that he's created there and his recent comic miniseries uh, the dollhouse family which is a sort of horror comic yeah. that he's done for dc under joe hill's imprint called hill house comics yeah. And Dollhouse Family, um, that's been out for a wee while now, and I would recommend anyone who's not read that to have a read of it. It's an excellent comic. Yeah, it really is. If you're a fan of things like Sandman uh, or... Lock and Key. Lock and Key, exactly. Or books like House of Leaves or something like that. It's, it's very much yeah. in that sort of vein. Um, as usual, Mike gives us lots of useful hints and tips and really great insight into how he's crafted these new worlds. Um one thing I should say is that towards the end of the podcast, I ask Mike about whether he'll be going about doing readings from Bukakoli to help promote it and stuff. And obviously, we recorded this back in January before coronavirus 
was even a known <laughs> word to most people. Um, but unfortunately, obviously, that these things won't be happening now. But at least you're getting a chance to hear about the Bukakoli now. And I think when you hear him speak about it, it's something that you probably want to pick up and, and grab. Yeah, I'm really excited for it. And uh, yeah, I think it's a, it's a really good listen. And Mike's always a great guy to chat with. And yeah, yeah. I should say lots of good hints and tips in there for people. Yeah, no, definitely. So uh, it's enough from us and we'll get on with the podcast. And we'll be back at the end of the podcast talk a bit more, tell you who's on next week and also announce the winner of our Jonathan Whitelaw competition. Excellent. Very okay. exciting. Right, speak to you later. See you then. Obviously you've got the the Book of Coley coming out in April, is it coming out? That's right, yeah. And uh, it's the first in, in a trilogy. Do you, do you want to tell us just a bit about what what it's all about? Yes, certainly. Um, so it's kind of, um, in some ways, it's going to feel like um, familiar territory to anyone who's read Girl with All the Gifts, um, in that it's a post-apocalyptic story and it's a coming-of-age story. Um, having said that, I think it's very different in tone and flavor. It's very different in voice. And it's very different in setting. Um, whereas Girl with All the Gifts took place in the midst of a, an apocalypse, if you like. Uh-huh. Um, the, the Rampart trilogy, the books of Coley, take place um, several centuries after the collapse of our civilization. Right, okay. um, and that collapse is uh, a source of myth and um, conflicting stories in Coley's world. They, they, they know that there was this time when humankind could kind of strode the world like a colossus that we, when we commanded the elements. Um, and that is, yeah, that, that, that's something that they've lost. Uh, the level of technology in Coley's world has reverted to something a lot closer to medieval. Uh-huh. Um, and, and a crucial thing that's missing from Coley's world is books. There are no, um, there are no, uh, there's no prose uh, writing of any kind. Everybody is, um, is illiterate. Uh, and clearly this hasn't happened by accident. Books have been removed right. from their world. Oh, sure. um, they're, they're, they're living in, they're living with the, the sort of aftermath of climate collapse. And they're also living with the aftermath of, of um, a lot of the bad decisions that were made, um, bad interventions to try to halt climate collapse. Um, so uh, Coley lives in the Calder Valley uh, in northern England. Uh, he lives in a, a tiny village called uh, Mithenrood. Okay. And although they, they, there are neighboring villages that are only a few miles away, it's actually very, very difficult for them to stay in contact with those neighboring villages because the world outside the village fence is so incredibly hostile, so incredibly dangerous. Um, there are lots of mutated life forms out there, uh-huh. but crucially also the trees uh, plant life, all plant life is um, highly mobile and highly dangerous. There are things called choker trees, um, which um, they have a tropism. You know, like like all all all, uh, all trees have a tropism towards sunlight. Uh, the chokers have a tropism towards light and heat, which is so powerful that if you move among them, they can sense your body heat. And they will, they will, they will lean in on you and their branches will move. And if you're not quick enough, or lucky enough, they will crush you. They'll surround you uh-huh. and crush you. And then they'll feed on the, uh, the nutrients of your rotting body. <laughs> um, so, um, 
this is a world where life is very, very precarious. And um, in Coley's village, they rely on a very, very few pieces of legacy technology that have survived from our time or from just after our time. There are three very potent weapons, a flamethrower, um, a kind of a kind of smart gun uh-huh. that fire the fires bolts bolt, bolts which will will pursue a target a chosen target uh-huh. until they hit it um, and a, a force field generator called the cutter which generates a very very uh, fine um, you know like monomolecular force field so you can cut through almost anything with it they have those three things and they have um, an ancient database. And the people who can wield this technology are called the ramparts, and they are the, the elite of the village. They're the ruling caste in the village. Um, when you reach the age of 15, you get to try out by piece, picking up a piece of tech, either one of those four or one of the few hundred uh, non-working pieces of tech that the village also owns. You pick it up and you speak to it, and if it responds to you and obeys you, then you become a rampart too. And you go to live in Rampart Hold, and your life takes a completely different path. You, you become a member of this incredibly powerful, respected, even revered uh, elite. But um, funny thing, the only people who ever pass that test are members of one family, the, Vanast- <laughs> the Vanastin family. From generation to generation, they're the ones that the tech recognizes, responds to, um, and, and obeys. So <clears throat> when Coley takes his test, all of his hopes and dreams, because he's, he's, he's built up this, this kind of fantasy where he's going to be a rampart, all those hopes are dashed. He fails, and it's kind of inevitable that he will fail. And on the back of that failure, he makes a fateful decision, um, which is going to haunt him and is going to um, determine the course of his future life. He decides to steal some tech from the underhold, from the, the, the kind of subterranean, the, the basements uh-huh. of, of Rampart Hold, the, uh, the fortress where the Ramparts live. Um, and the thing that he steals is a media player. He doesn't know that's what it is. Um, he just grabs something at random. It's a media player and there is an AI inside it. And the AI is the personality of a dead Japanese pop star named, <laughs> named, named Monono, Monono Aware. Um, and that's kind of like that's the the, the trigger incident, triggering triggering incident for Coley's um, the start of Coley's journey uh-huh. um, from this tiny tiny self enclosed world, which is all he knows, into um, uh, an, a, a kind of a kind of odyssey really, which will lead to him discovering much more about how the world works, how it got the way it is, uh, and how it might be possible to change it. Cool. It sounds absolutely fantastic. Yeah, and also it sounds very, uh, you, you know, there's there's a lot of world there mm. that you've built and the whole society and the trees and yeah. everything. I mean, how? What was the first thing that 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 inspired you to tell this story? Um, that the answer to that question is going to sound really weird. Um, <laughs> so, I, 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 as with as with girl with all the gifts, this um, this. Uh, series of books started as a short story. I was invited to submit a story for um, an anthology that PS uh, Publishing were putting together called Weird Winter Tales. Uh-huh. And the, the stipulation was just it had to have a winter setting. Um, and I wrote a story uh, called All That's Red Earth, 
And it's um, it's got nothing in common with the Coley stories at all, <laughs> except the voice. Um, right. So it's 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 um, it's not science fiction. It's dark fantasy. Um, it has a magic system in. Uh, it has a character named Terry, a protagonist named Terry, who is kind of kind of similar in the way that um, that he speaks. Uh, that he she speaks um, to the way Coley speaks. It was the voice that um, that I took out of that story, and I thought I I really like writing in this uh, from this perspective, from this point of view, with this voice, and I kept on playing with it. Uh-huh. But there's a but there's a there's a crucial reveal at the end of the short story, which is to do with um, Terry's gender, um, and I couldn't find a way to play that reveal into a novel, still less a trilogy of novels, um, that would allow it to have the force and importance that it needs to have in order to land. So I kind of um, I kind of took it off in a different direction and at a certain point the magic disappeared and became technology uh-huh. but but i needed the technology to have the the force of magic to be to be largely yeah. mysterious and unknown to the people who use it um and so i built up this idea of um uh this sort of way 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 many generations post-apocalyptic uh-huh. setting um I, I was i'm a huge admirer of jasper ford's novel shades of gray um, in which uh, the apocalypse is almost forgotten. They just refer to it as, as the something that happened. Uh-huh. Um, and there's, a, there's something of that in Coley's world. You know, they tell stories about um, the world that was and how it ended, stories about the unfinished war. Uh, and there are still munitions, there are weapons, some of them, some of them sentient weapons uh, um, from that war that Coley gets to meet in the course of the story. Um, so... The story shifted. Uh, the protagonist changed completely. The world changed completely. The genre changed completely. And yet that short story was still the kind of um, the trigger for all of this. Nice. And it's, it's interesting because so many books like Station Eleven or The Girl with All the Gifts even, I suppose, deal with the apocalypse as it's happening or, or close to it. But this one seems to be set quite far away. And from what I was reading, there's a lot of things to do with uh, drone strikes and, and climate change or partly responsible is that right for it and is that something that's important for you quite a big issue yeah i think i think the um the ecological themes are are huge in 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 this i mean they they were kind of implicit in girl with all the gifts and Mm -hmm. boy on the bridge i think but they're much more front and center here um there there is a kind of ongoing exploration of um what our relationship with the world is what it has been and what it perhaps should be um and all of that sort of uh, eventually sort of comes uh, bears fruit in the third, in the third book. And and is is um, I'm trying to think of the best way to say this is writing a way for you to uh, put down your views on topics. Is that is is that quite an important thing to be able to, for an author to do? You think? Um. Ooh, I, mean, I wouldn't want to sort of um, pontificate <laughs> on that. I, I I think I always I always start with the story. I love, okay. I just love telling stories, but I think inevitably. Um, your your attitude, your views, and the way you see the world—it always comes out, uh-huh. no matter what no matter what story you're telling. Uh-huh. It's kind of because it saturates it into the way you think and the way you frame uh-huh. stories. Yeah. So um, you know, there's no intention to preach really, but you 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 push on the things that are um, that are pushing on you, the things yeah. that are sort of that are in your mind, that are looming uh, in your thoughts, and uh, the moment. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard not to. Yeah. It's hard to get out of out of an apocalyptic frame of mind. In Especially a way. now, I think. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, and when you're when you were building this story up, then you started with the short story, but then um, obviously it became eventually what you've described to us. Did you, was it a case of sort of finding Coley and then thinking about the story that they would lead, or and then layering on top of that, or did you build the world first and then put Coley into it? If you see what I mean. Um, de- definitely the first. Um, it, it, it was sort of building the world in layers uh-huh. around Coley. It was thinking about what his journey should be, um, what his what shape his story should have, and then making a world that kind of um, fitted to that mold. But then at a certain point, um, that flips on its head, and you start to you start to get fascinated by uh-huh. the articulation of the world, and you start to you know things start to happen. You 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 bring in characters to. Um, to bounce off the protagonist, and then those characters start to have their own inner life as you as you kind of as you kind of chew on them mm-hmm. a little. Um, so there's a there's a um, a very important supporting character um, who doesn't have any counterpart at all in the short story, and who wasn't really in the plan. But I but I kind of once I started writing it. There was just a, there was there was a hole that the hole that was um, that had this outline and so I, I, stuck, I stuck this character into it. Um, her name is Ursula Ursula from elsewhere, um, and she's a traveling healer, and she has a piece of tech as well. She has one of the most um, precious and, and um, complex pieces of tech um, that survived in this world, which is it's called a drudge. Um, it's it's a it's a piece of military hardware. Uh, you know, you've, you've started to see these robots, these um, uh, uh, kind of, kind of, they look like horses without heads. Yeah, they're, uh, they're being developed. They're being developed by the U.S. military yeah. to to carry kit on battlefields and also to be kind of portable um, barricades and shields. Mm-hmm. Um, so she has one of those. She has a drudge, mm-hmm. um, but her drudge is not a combat drudge. It's a medical drudge. Right. Um, and she she goes from village to village. Uh, she does two things. She heals people. You know, she she's got um, a very sophisticated medical database. She can um, concoct medicines ad hoc for for a wide range of conditions. But also, crucially, she can tell people up front whether their unions will be fruitful. Whether this man and this oh, woman, okay. if they if they uh, if they marry. And, and, uh, and start trying to start a family, whether they have any chance of succeeding. And, and in Myth and Rood, um, although you know, Ursula, Ursula just gives a yes or a no, she doesn't make any judgment. She's not saying you can or should be together or you can't or shouldn't. Uh, she's just saying you will or won't have kids. But in Myth and Rood, if the, if, the, if the kids are out of the question, the union is out of the question because the birth rate is low and it's dropping and they need people to have children and they need the children to survive. And when you're building a world like this that is so far in the future, it's all, it, it gives you that obviously gives you that freedom to build it in the way that you have and put these characters in and the ecological system and everything like that. But it also presents, I think, or it would do for me anyway, a problem of how do you tell the reader, mm. or how do you show rather than tell, I suppose is the thing, how do you show the reader this world without it becoming too exposition at the start to sort of lay out what this world is like and things like that? Do you have any... Because um, that's a common problem, I think, yeah. especially with sci-fi, but a lot, also a lot in worlds like this. Start, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think uh, one, one of the joys of writing Coley, uh, and I am having a lot of fun writing him, is um, he's, he's barely literate. 
you know, he's, he's been brought up in this world without books, without access to, to written texts at all. And he's learned very late in life, um, to read and write. And now he's, he's telling us, he's telling us his story. And he, he, he uses language very imperfectly. Right. Um, he has a very, very sort of rough and ready, very, very hacked about, uh, way of speaking that still has a kind of energy and a kind of poetry to it. Um, and because he's never done this before, and because he's never read a book in his life, he has no idea what kind of structure a story should have. So he starts telling you one thing, and then he says, you know, shit, I should have, I should have told you this first. Ah, but then you won't understand that unless I tell you this. Uh, and he sort of lurches from topic to topic, and he throws in, um, uh, scenes, memories, um, uh, incidents, out of, out of sequence as they, as they kind of hit his attention. Uh, and the world comes together out, out of those bits and pieces, um, like a jigsaw, you know, for, 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 a, for a lot of the time, for, for early on, the reader is kind of in the dark. Uh-huh. Cold, 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 he talks earnestly about small things that matter to him and leaves out enormous, uh, important, <laughs> crucial things. Um, but then gradually we start to see what those absences are and we start to, 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 to see what might be in them um so it's actually actually the world building has been um has been really fun because it because it's uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm allowed through coley to to tease the reader mm-hmm. um with with possibilities before i actually sort of come out and say yeah it's it's this thing or it's that thing yeah although i, as I can see that that technique you know it will work in in hands like yours, I think, <laughs> but but uh, it, there's a danger, I suppose, with a voice like that that you could almost use that as an excuse not to fully paint the world out. If mm. you see what I mean, I suppose you have to be very. What I'm trying to say is, I suppose you have to be very careful, even though it appears that sort of unstructured thing that you have to be thinking about it all the time. About will this work <laughs> in the whole story? Oh yeah, yes. So yeah, the 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 appearance of um, of haphazardness is it, it it's 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 kind of um, it's kind of an optical illusion. Mm-hmm. I, I, I did have I did have a structure yeah. uh, and, 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 a, and a sort of um, a strong sense of where where certain reveals uh, should come. Mm-hmm. Um, having said that, there is you know there are some reveals that are quite long delayed. I'm I'm, I'm a big fan of the kind of story that works like. Um, like a puzzle box mm-hmm. that, that open, opens in sections, or like um, like babushka dolls. Mm-hmm. You take yeah, you, yeah. you take the take the first one off, and there's another one inside, and so on and so on. So each reveal kind of leads you um, to the next to the next yeah. puzzle, and then and then to the next reveal. Um, and the the other thing, the other kind of side effect of Coley being so bad uh, with language, so so um, so kind of almost comedically. Um, uh, ham-fisted with words is that the pace is very fast mm-hmm. uh, because he doesn't waste time with um, mm-hmm. with flowery description. He's he's got a need to tell the story and he's earnestly, um, urgently, emphatically getting to the point the whole time. Um, so it moves it moves along at a at a fair old lick. And and so when it came to having to plan out the three books in the trilogy. Um, how how do you plan that? You know, how do you know what to keep back for the next book, or what reviews to put where and stuff? Because am, am I right in saying that the three books have been because the three books have been the names are out and the covers are released? So I'm presuming are they all are they all written? Or are they kind of written? Two two of them are completely written. Right. Um, about uh, about seventy percent done with the third. Okay. Um, and I I I had a. I had a fairly detailed plan for all three books before I started the first, but 
I'm going to be honest. When I say a detailed plan, my plans have um, they have holes in them. They're, 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 they're normally they're normally really um, circumstantial at the start and really circumstantial at the end. Yeah. And, and then there's a bit in the middle which is basically stuff happens yeah. <laughs> um, because you because you just know um, that you 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 could if you wanted to sort of nail down every beat, yeah. but there's no way you're going to stick to that. Um, you need to know what you need to know the direction of travel, and you need to know what some of the cardinal markers along the way are. But you know very well that you're going to be you're going to be tempted off the path mm-hmm. when you get into the middle of the story. Yeah. There's a whole lot of stuff that will happen because of the the, the ideas that are hitting you then. Uh, I knew what the break points were going to be. Um, the story, in, in a way, the story has a very very simple structure, um, and the structure is a quest that begins and ends in the same place. It's it's a it's a, a circular odyssey in the same way that Lord of the Rings, yeah. I guess, is a is a circular odyssey. Um, it, it, it takes it ultimately takes um, Frodo back to the Shire. Uh-huh. Um, Coley will go home at the end of the story, but um, you know, there's that line from T. S. Eliot: um, we, "We we will we will not cease from from journeying, but the end of all our travels will be to arrive where we started and see the place for the first time." Uh-huh. You know, by, by the time by the time he gets by the time he gets through all of the things that are awaiting him, all of the experiences and, and trials. You know, the second book is called "The Trials of Coley." Uh-huh. Um, he's a very different person, um, and his motivations have changed. Um, his his goals have changed, and the world that he left behind has also changed beyond recognition um, while he's been away. And did you always? Did you always plan it as a trilogy? Did you decide this is mm-hmm. too big a story for me to tell in one in one novel? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I always knew it was going to be multi-part. Um, there's, 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 there's a part of me that thinks, you know, the three, the three books are the story of Coley, uh-huh. and the story of Coley reaches an ending. Um, it's possible that there might be other stories in right. Coley's world. That, yeah. that, that there might be sort of um, there might be there might be reasons to. To revisit that world, um, but a, tr- a trilogy makes sense. It's going to be, I think, across the three books, it's about um, four hundred and fifty, five hundred thousand words, something like that, yeah. which feels like it feels like the right canvas, yeah. the right size canvas for the story. Um, trying to do it in one would have um, it would have it would have meant kind of missing out or compressing some very very important stuff. And as an author, how do you pitch something like that to your agent or your editor when you say, I've got three books? Is that a harder sell than saying one and we'll see what happens after that? I, I, um, I actually, I didn't do, I didn't do the pitching process the way I normally do it. Okay. No, 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 normally I, um, I do, I do a sort of fairly detailed pitch document um, with an overview of the story, notes on key characters and so uh-huh. on. Um, Sometime in the middle of 2017, might have been early 2017, I did an event in Oxford at the Blackwells in Oxford. Um, no, but the Waterstones in Oxford, sorry. Um, with, um, with Claire North, um, mm-hmm. Cat Webb. And, um, we were talking about pitching and she was, she was, she was kind of mild, mildly boggled at the fact that I, that I do that sort of, um, that very very detailed initial pitch and she said you know sometimes the best thing to do is just like write write the book write the book and <laughs> uh, and hand it in um 
And I thought, yeah, that's sound of it actually. Um, <laughs> and I, so, so, so I wrote, I wrote about 30,000 words of the first book and I gave that in, um, to, to Anna, my editor and said, it's that, you know, it, it, it's, it's, that's, that's kind of like the, the essence of it there. If you, if you don't like the voice and you don't like the character, then I've got nothing because <laughs> it, it, it's, um, it's that, that's, that. that, yeah, that's the core of it. Yeah. Um, and she did like it. And actually her first question was, is this one book or a series? <laughs> and I said, it's a series. Um, so, so it was, um, it was, it went, it went fine. But yeah, so, the, so in a way I, I made the, I let the book speak for itself because it's, it depends so much on Coley and on the way Coley mm-hmm. tells his story that, that a, 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 um, a synopsis would not have had the same force, I don't think. Although in due course, I did, I did give, um, uh, give Little Brown a, a synopsis, but, but I, I kind of needed to lead with what I thought was my best, uh, my best selling point, which is Coley himself. I mean, it, it sounds, I'm really excited to get yeah, my hands no, absolutely. Down, especially after speaking to you. Um, <laughs> Are the, and you say that, as you said, that there is a possibility of revisiting this universe after the after the three books of Coley. Um, I mean, it it sounds like it could be ripe for other interpretations of this. I know mm-hmm. we're maybe jumping the gun, obviously, but um, when's the Netflix deal coming? Out? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's really what I'm asking. <laughs> it, would, it would be it would be lovely. Yeah, I, uh, we, we've we've had a couple of conversations. We the, the, we haven't um, we haven't placed the rights, but I think it would be it would be really cool to do it as a TV mm-hmm. series. I could definitely see it in that format. Mm-hmm. Um, a fairly expensive TV series. Oh, <laughs> well, The Witcher is probably very expensive. Yeah, which has which, been which, one of which is, hits for Netflix ever apparently. Yeah, it's doing really well, isn't it? Yeah. Um, well, so what date is that out exactly? Just so that people know. Uh, Good question. I don't know. It's April. Okay. Well, <laughs> we'll, we'll look into that and we'll, we'll say that at the start of the podcast, whatever date. It's, it's April for the first one. I think September for the second and uh, February of uh, next year for the third. So they're going to be, you know, oh, bam, right. bam, okay. bam. They're going to be it, out in very rapid succession. Excellent. Is it quite important for, for books to come out, you know, less than a year apart when it's a trilogy like that? If it's so, so folk, it's still fresh in their minds when it was the second. George R.R. R. Martin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's it kind of um, I think it's it it just allows the reader to sort of to, to surf the wave, you know, to, to, yeah, s- yeah. to sort of stay, stay stay in the story space, um, yeah. which I think is a, is a cool thing. I I, I hate waiting for um, prolonged periods for sequels. Yeah. I mean, I've been yeah. waiting for a sequel to Shades of Grey for like four, <laughs> four or five years now, and more, yeah. longer than that. And you forget um, completely what every every minor character was doing in the last one and stuff. Yeah, so you're going to have to reread the original then yeah. before you get the sequel. Uh, we're, we're, we're sort of poised at the start of season three of The Expanse, but oh, we've, yeah. forgot, we've forgotten enough that we probably <laughs> need to go back. Yeah, we just finished re-watch. watching season four, and the very start it had a kind of previously on bit. Yeah. And watching that, and for the whole two minutes, I was like, I don't remember any of this happening <laughs> at all last time. <laughs> I know it is, it is that, is that especially a dense story like that. Yeah, yeah, so much happens. To try and remember yeah. everything, it's, yeah. it's difficult. Um, I was also going to ask about, um, as well as uh, Coley, uh, you've also just brought out the Dollhouse family um, uh, with yes. DC. Um, and again, do you want to give a, you, you'll be better than me at giving a brief summary of, of what that's about for the listeners? 
So this is the first, I think, pure horror book, as opposed to dark fantasy book that I've done at DC. Um, it's me and Peter Gross and Vince Locke. Um, we worked together um, and then Togline doing lettering. Uh, we worked together on The Unwritten um, on a lot of issues. So it was great to get that team together again. It's, um, it's the story of um, a woman, uh, Alice Dealey who we, we meet her first as a child when she's given um, a gift, a beautiful um, uh, antique dollhouse with a family of porcelain dolls that live in the house, um, a, a man, a woman, and three children. Um, and you know, she's absolutely thrilled by this, not least because her home life is far from perfect. Um, her father is, is uh, has a, a, a huge anger management problem, is, is physically abusive, to her mother, um, she 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 loves the dollhouse and she uses the dollhouse as an escape from the the sort of um, the, the the tensions of, of her daily life. Um, and she discovers quite early on that the dolls the dolls can talk, um, and the dolls invite her in to the dollhouse. She they they give her um, a, a kind of a magic incantation, a spell, which when she speaks it shrinks her down to doll size, and when she she walks into the dollhouse. They're not dolls anymore. They're real people. And she, she visits with them. She plays games with them. They welcome her in. Um, they, they, they're loving and kind and considerate and attentive. And it's, you know, it's kind of like an idyllic counterpoint uh-huh. to the real world. But then she discovers that the, not only are the dolls alive, but the dollhouse is also alive. And the dollhouse has a, an agenda of its own, which, um, which, is going to change Alice's life uh-huh. and not in good ways. <laughs> so it's, it's, um, it, we follow her from her own childhood through to, um, uh, her adult life when she has a daughter of her own. Um, and also we go back into the past and we discover the, uh, the ways in which the dollhouse has been connected to Alice's family for at least a couple of centuries. And, and that's part of uh, the new imprint, uh, which is sort of headed up, by Joel Hill, I think. Uh, That's right, Hill House yeah. Comics. Yeah. yeah. And how did that come about? Was that a story that you already had and were ready to pitch, or did Joel come to you and say, have you got anything, or uh, what was the process there? So I bumped into Joe at um, a signing of Forbidden Planet um, for an anthology that we were both in. Um, I think it might have been a book called Phantoms. Right. Um, it was a, an anthology uh, edited by... Um, uh, Maria, Paul Kane and Maria O'Regan. Uh-huh. Uh, and he was, uh, he'd been approached by DC and invited to curate a line of books. And he was telling me about this and he asked me if I would be interested in pitching. And my response was, hell yes. Um, <laughs> uh, so, so I, yeah, I, I, I put the story together specifically for, um, the Hill House line. And I guess that, uh, yeah, that you, you can see how, both Haunting of Hill House, which was on Netflix at the time, yeah. uh-huh. and, and Joe's Lock and Key are yeah. both kind are both kind of in the DNA of yeah, Dollhouse family. Yeah. They were they were they were at the back of my head when I was um, when I was putting the story together. I mean, it, it is its own thing, but yeah. it's indebted it's indebted to both of those um, wonderful uh, wonderful horror narratives. And it, it also reminded me of. Um you know the, the the idea of the house being alive mm-hmm. is sort of house of leaves mm-hmm. in the book mm-hmm. and uh, uh, shining girls as well. You know it's it's a it's always I always think it it's a uniquely creepy sort of yeah. aspect to a horror story. I think. Yeah, but I love I love I love creepy geography and I love dolls. I love creepy dolls. Um, mm-hmm. 
I think a dollhouse is a perfect horror prop in, in, in every respect. I did, yeah, Daniel Esky's The House of Leaves probably was in the back of my head as well. Because yeah. there's a point where the house, um, the house is talking to a, a minor character in issue four or five, and it says, um, uh, yeah, the, the, the Christ said, my father's house has many mansions, and so do I. There are, there are, there's more space inside me than you could ever, yeah. um, than you could ever, um, see in a hundred lifetimes. Um, in one of the most terrifying moments in House of Leaves, which is also one of the perfect horror moments, uh, that, that I sort of, I go back to again and again, is the moment when the, um, the husband is measuring, uh, a room. He measures the same wall inside and outside, and the measurements don't match. They're, yeah, a, quarter right. an, they're right. a quarter of an inch apart, and he can't reconcile uh-huh. the two, two measurements. And it's absolutely terrifying. It's and it's it, trivial, trivial, exactly. and terrifying. It's, it's so odd how it's, it's something as simple as um, a measurement being wrong on one side of a wall, but it it really is effectively creepy. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's it is funny the bits of horror. I mean, I, I have to say I'm I'm a bit of a wimp, so I don't watch a lot of <laughs> horror films. But the horror films that I have watched. Um, you know, it is. It's little things like that. Yeah. I, I remember the Blair Witch Project when they when they're walking through the woods and then they suddenly realise they've just gone back to the same spot, even though they've been mm-hmm. walking all day mm-hmm. or something like that. Right. It's those little, those little fl- uh, tricks are like that. Yeah. That, that you suddenly that creep you out much more almost than something jumping out or jumping, something. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's why, it's why horror, horror works brilliantly in both comics and movies, I think, because, uh, a visual detail can uh-huh. just yeah. c- c- kind of reverberate yeah. and have, can, can carry, um, a whole chunk of narrative, I and, think, in, in, a, in a beautiful way. And is, <coughs> is, is horror, we, I kind of wonder if we're having a bit of a renaissance with horror stuff at the moment, because there's obviously, obviously Hill House is launching at DC and, you know, there's stuff like A Quiet Place and The Haunting of Hill House and Lock and Keys you mentioned before. Is, is this a kind of, you know, a bit of a golden age for horror stuff? Yeah, it does seem so. Yeah, we, we have, um, we have so many, yeah, we're, we're, we're blessed with so many great horror auteurs at the moment. Um, Joe, Joe Hill himself, obviously, um, mm-hmm. and Stephen King. Yeah. Um, and, and, um, uh, Ari, Ari Aster, who did Midsummer. Yeah. Uh-huh. I thought Midsummer was oh, amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mike, Mike, Mike Flanagan. Mm-hmm. Um, just, 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 um, there is so many amazing, um, horror works coming out, and I think we're also we're becoming more receptive to horror texts from outside the Anglophone world. Uh-huh. Um, obviously, you know, Far Eastern horror uh-huh. is um, is huge has been a huge success. Um, how South American horror, I think, South South and Central American horror, I think, is a is a rising force. I watched um, Tigers Are Not Afraid last night on Shudder, which is a um, a Mexican. Yeah. Horror movie oh, okay. um, with a, a female director and writer, uh, and I can't remember what her name is. I apologise for that. But it's a it's a story set in Mexico City and against the backdrop of the um, uh, the, the drug wars uh, and, the, and the sort of dis- huge number of um, women who just disappear without a trace mm-hmm. and, and, and are never seen again. That's that's kind of like the the um, the, the, the the seed kernel for the story. Mm-hmm. That's amazingly good. Oh, nice. To check that what out. was that called again? Tigers are not afraid. Tigers are not afraid. Nice. Okay. Excellent. I, I probably won't check. It out, <laughs> I'll, tell, I'll tell you what it's like. <laughs> yeah, you can tell me what it's like. <laughs> um, and obviously, as you said, you're working with Peter Gross on uh, uh, Dollhouse Family. It, was that something? Did you go to him and say, "Look, Joe's Joe's suggested 
that we could do something on this and then work did you work it through with Peter or was it your story and or did you develop it with him yeah, I, I suggested bringing Peter on board, and then Peter suggested bringing Vince because right. um, uh, Pete, Peter had some su- surgery on his arm um, a couple of years back, okay. and it was, it was because he had he had ongoing problems with the muscles and nerves in the arm, um, and it's left him. Um, although it's dealt with that problem, uh, his arm is a lot weaker than it was, mm-hmm. and he he works more slowly. He works entirely digital digitally. Oh, okay. Um, on a Cintiq rig, um, which gives him a lot of control. But the price he pays for that control is that very often he'll be, you know, he'll be setting up uh, layers for each line and then collapsing the layers um, quite late on in the process. Uh-huh. So it, t- it takes him longer to um, to put a page together than it used to. So he suggested that he would do page roughs, um, from which Vince would do pencils oh, and okay. then and, oh, okay, and then okay. and then finishes. Um, and that's worked out really well. Um, it's 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 a style that's Recognizably, recognizably, Peter. Definitely, but yeah. but 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 differently inflected. Mm-hmm. And I think it, I think it fits the story um, really effectively. And it's a, I know it's it's a limited series. So does that does that essentially mean that you're locked into X number of issues and you you have to hit the story beats at the right moments to fit that entire structure, or is there some leeway on on how many issues? No, no, it's 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 absolutely rigid. Yeah, okay. six issues. Six issues was the. Um, it was the brief, and that's what we delivered. It, it, having said that, that's that's a that's a fairly generous canvas. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've done uh, that's an earliest stage in my career. I've done a fair amount of work for um, 2000 AD, mm-hmm. where you where you have a five a five page um, episode, yeah. and that's a, that's a struggle. It's a struggle to to uh, to deliver um, a coherent and pleasingly paced narrative yeah. in, in, that, in that very very compressed um, space. But I think um, you know the uh, the twenty two page uh, American format. It's absolutely fine. If you, if you, so as long as you go in with um, with a sense of where your your close, closing beats are going to be mm-hmm. for each issue, you're you're going to be fine with that. Okay, excellent. And does does Joe? He's curating all this line, but does he have any input? Do you show it to him first, or you know what what is his role in it apart from it being released under the Hill House banner? He's um, he's been creative consultant on all of the stories, right? Okay, um, and, and he's been he's been really really active in that role, and it's been great sort of um, brainstorming with him to shape the story. Um, and he, you know, he he was you know he was he was offering ideas, but he was not doctrinaire. He was saying you could do this. Here's a possibility. Um, both at the the early sort of overview stage, and then as each of the scripts came in, you know, sometimes he'd say. There's a cool visual beat that you, you could maybe have here. Right. Um, in issue two, we have um, we have a double page spread, which is a, a cutaway diagram of the dollhouse, mm-hmm. and that that was Joe's idea. He said, "You have to do this. You have you have to let us see the interior. You know, just like in those old like um, '60s um, yeah. TV Twenty One kind of things where you'd see Tracy Island or whatever. Um, it feels like you need to do that, and it was a great call. I think. Yeah, nice." And so is Hill House, is that essentially taken over from Vertigo or is, is that what it's meant to do? Um, yes and no. I think um, it's, it, the, 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 the Vertigo influence is there to be seen. Mm-hmm. And it was one of, the, one of the reasons why I was excited to be a part of it. You know, yeah. the other reason being, being working with Joe himself. Um, but I think 
going forward, I think you're going to see a lot more of this kind of thing because you know, it's it's um, they've done it with young animals where Gerard Way was curating the books uh-huh. and writing writing some some himself. Now they've done it with Hill House. I think it's a formula that's very powerful, and I think you know rather than there being Hill House as the as the successor to Vertigo, I think you're going to see Hill House, and you're going to see things that are like Hill House, where they bring somebody and bring in a um, a creator who's who's responsible for an entire kind of iteration, an entire right. family or stable of books. And, and I believe the idea is I, I, I could be wrong about this, so don't quote me on it. But I think um, the idea is to you know to have a second and a third and a fourth wave, you know, to keep on. Um, to keep on sort of working within that space and, yeah. and uh, um, provide, providing um, diff- different different horror narratives that work under that umbrella. I suppose kind of like the American Horror Story almost, that kind of like anthology yeah. of stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, 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 that's a really good analogy, I think. And, and it's an exciting space to work in. I think it's a great, um, it's a very powerful formula. It, well, it's, it's a great idea, actually, for, for and also encouraging really that it's one of the big, the big two, obviously, yeah. who are normally they're overwhelmingly known for superheroes, obviously. But mm-hmm. um, yep. to to be open, opening out their their horizons, really, to, to yeah. telling these different types of story. I, I was desperately sad when when uh, when I heard the news that they were they were wrapping up mothballing the uh, yeah. the, the the Vertigo imprint. Yeah. But it feels it feels like yeah. As you said, the spirit, the spirit is still there. It's uh, it's just Good. being uh, being presented in a different way. Nice. So, so what, what's next then? What's I think last time you spoke, you said you're working on a couple of screenplays. Is that something that's still ongoing? <laughs> I'm still working on the same screenplays. <laughs> yeah. um, you, you need a kind of Zen mentality, really, uh, <laughs> to do screenwriting. So, yeah, I'm still I'm still working with um, with Colin um, McCarthy and Kami Gatsam who are the director and lead producer on Girl with All the Gifts. Yeah. We have a couple of projects in the work, one of which is um, is in a very exciting stage now. We're, we're, we're starting to talk about casting. Oh, nice. um, I can't I can't sort of announce what it is, but um that's yeah that that's um that's still ongoing and um a couple of other bits and pieces that, that relate to my own back catalogue that I'm uh, I'm sort of working on. But nice. uh, the, 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 the the big bulk of what I'm doing at the moment is the uh, is the prose writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, and you've not got anything planned as yet, firmly planned after the Coley trilogy, I take it. The the goal is finish that just now and then I've got I've got an I've got an idea for a freestanding novel, okay. which again again would be horror, um, rather rather than fantasy or sci-fi, um, which I could knock off very fast because I've got it like almost complete in my head. Cool. So I might I might I might do that next, and then you know depending on how the Coldy books are received, I might sneak into Coldy's world through the back door and do some more stuff there. Brilliant. And would that be your first full horror novel that you've written that's not had a kind of kind of fantasy slant to it? Um. Yeah, probably would. I think. I mean, is 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 someone like me full horror? Maybe not. Yeah, it probably is the first. Nice. Oh, I look forward to that then. Absolutely. And uh, are you going? Just in case listeners are interested, I know a lot. When a book like Coley launches, are you are you going around speaking? Uh, you know, doing readings and things like that. I'm certainly hoping to. Yeah, uh, I've dropped. I've dropped some heavy hints <laughs> at, at, at all, but because I, I love doing, I love doing readings. I think uh-huh. it's um, it's just fun. It's fun to uh, to do a reading in a Q and A. Yeah. Uh, in a in a bookshop environment. Yeah. So um, 
yeah, I've, I've given them a nudge. I'm definitely doing um, both the Chimera um, convention and um, Edinburgh Book Fest oh, this year. And a couple of other, couple of other um, conventions, but I'd like to do some readings as well. Nice. I think we actually saw you, probably not last year, but the year before maybe, you were I here with, in, maybe, maybe with, with, Joe, with Joe Hill yeah. actually, yeah, you were, you were here. Yeah. I think it was with Boy, with Boy in the Bridge. <laughs> That's um, right. And it was, as you say, it's an excellent setting and it was, it was really fun, so anyone out there listening, definitely go along and check it out. <laughs> Uh, the last book you read? Ooh, okay, last book I finished was um, The Future of Another Timeline. Oh, what's that one? Ah, I can't remember the name of the writer. <laughs> um, bear with me a second. I'm gonna, I, th- I think I can find the book. Okay. <laughs> um, Future of Another Timeline. It's a, it's a sci-fi novel by Anna Lee Newitz. Okay. Um, oh, yeah, it's a, okay. As the um, as the title suggests, it's a time travel narrative, mm-hmm. but it's a it's an ingeniously different time travel narrative um, in which there are five there are exactly five time machines on Earth, and there have always been five time machines on Earth uh, ever since the Paleolithic period. Humans did not build them. Nobody knows who built them, mm-hmm. um, and people are allowed to use them to to observe the past. You can't go into your own future, um, and you can't go to a period before the machines were discovered. Because if you do, there's nobody there to bring you back again. Um, okay. And the main character is a woman who suspects that um, some uh, a, a group of extreme right, right-wing um, misogynists are tr- trying to edit the timeline so that uh, women's reproductive rights were never a thing. Oh. So, so abortion was never legal and women never got the vote either. Um and so she and her friends are trying to, to trying to sort of nail down who's doing this and and, and when are they doing it and how can, how can you stop them? Well, that sounds very interesting. It's it's a lovely book. It's a really lovely book. Excellent. Go check that out. And uh, what was the last show you watched on TV? Uh, so we are two thirds of the way through Crazy Head, um, which right. is a kind of an English Buffy. All oh, right. Okay. I've not heard of Crazy Head. I don't think. What's that it's, one? It's um, uh, it's 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 on it's on Netflix. There was, oh, there right. was only a, there was only ever one season, I think. Tragically, um, it's a it's a, a young woman, uh, female protagonist who can see that there are some uh, people who are not people; they're actually demons, mm-hmm. and she's the only one who can see them. Uh, and for most of her life, she's thought that that this was just she was just having hallucinations, and she's actually been treated for psychosis. And then something happens that convinces yeah. her that actually, actually, this is. A real thing that she's seeing and then she makes contact with another woman who can see them as well and the other woman says actually um it's our job to destroy them because they're evil and things snowball from there it's good fun is it one of these series if there's only one see i'm always reluctant to start a series if it's you're not the, going to you're finish the reason properly. why they never make season i know two, that's true <laughs> I am. that's very true it's all my fault <laughs> um okay uh, quick fire questions uh Lucifer or Sandman? Ooh, um, uh, I have to say Sandman because <laughs> uh, without without Sandman, there wouldn't have been Lucifer. Um, I, I learned so much about storytelling from Sandman. Yeah, um, and I still think series. it's one. Of, I still think it's one of the masterpieces of the medium. Yeah, I have to say, actually, the Dollhouse family reminded me a little bit of Sandman. That kind of we were saying earlier, the kind yeah, of British old horror from the you know 
from the 80s that kind of feel to it a lot of people have said it has a feel of classic vertigo that mm-hmm. it, it feels like yeah. feels like a throw a throwback in a good way which you know i'll take it <laughs> um station 11 or annihilation mm. I, I'm going to say Annihilation, but I have to confess I haven't finished Station Eleven yet. So oh, okay. that's Annihilation on the basis that I know it better and I know it, I know how it ends up. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, TV or cinema? Both. You can't. You can't have one without the other. <laughs> uh, I'm not. I'm not going to choose. Okay. Fair enough. Um, one more slasher horror or supernatural horror. Supernatural horror every time. <laughs> so, so, slasher flicks bore my arse off. <laughs> not, not a fan of the Halloween films then? No, really not. Uh, Halloween, Friday the 13th, all that stuff. Um, yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street, yeah, kind of. Um, but by and large, I, I, I far prefer supernatural horror. And I, I, I like um, I mean, Tigers Are Not Afraid is, is sort of magic realist horror. Mm-hmm. You're never sure whether what you're seeing is um, is happening in the real world or in yeah. somebody's head. Yeah. And I, I love that ambiguity. Nice. Well, that was, as always, another excellent chat with Mike. Yeah, I really enjoyed that chat with Mike. Yeah, he's always got such excellent advice for people, especially those who wanted to craft that kind of big world that he does so well. Yeah, I mean, it was amazing the sort of, you know, you could hear the passion that he's he's got for that world yeah. of of Coley that he's he's created and how in depth it all is in his head, how he's carried all of that in and turned it obviously into a trilogy of books that I genuinely am really excited to to pick up. Yeah, and to and to see him be so excited about something, a book that he's done so far into his own career, it's really nice to hear that. Yeah, no, he he was really excited about it. And then also the Dollhouse family, like we said at the start, uh, that's now available, the whole thing, and it's really worth picking up, especially yeah. if you're a fan of that sort of horror comic, uh, like Sandman and things, and even Lucifer, things like that. It's, it's definitely yeah. worth picking up. Um, but I also thought he had some really interesting recommendations there i mean the yeah. film tigers are not afraid sounds very interesting it sounds not a film for me too scary probably <laughs> <laughs> but but i would uh, never heard of it before no I've had, I've had, both things that he said he was reading and watching i'd never heard of it before but both sounded really good yeah yeah the future of another timeline uh, by annalee mm-hmm. newitz it also sounds like a great book so I'd, i might pick that up especially since we're we're all going to have a bit more time to be sitting around <laughs> our houses at the we'll moment. Finally get, yeah, exactly. Finally get through that pile of books on the bedside table that's been sitting there for about a year. The TBR pile, as they say, the to-be-read pile. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, thank, genuinely, huge thanks again to Mike for coming on the podcast. Really appreciated it. And we hope that Mike will come back on again in the future to talk yeah. about a bit yeah. more maybe about those those screenplays that he's working on that he wasn't able to talk to us about in detail um, but we said we'd announced the winner of our recent Jonathan Whitelaw competition so Jonathan was a guest a couple of episodes ago in the podcast uh, and he kindly uh, gave us a signed copy of The Man in the Dark and a Man in the Dark t-shirt to give away and also, you win a page one notebook, which is our writer's notebook, uh, with different sections for plot, characters, and things like that. So, Tarek, over the over the internet, 
Can you got please the virtual announce... tombola here. Yes, can you announce the winner, please? <laughs> I'll just hang on. I'll just get out the drawer. Right, okay, let's see. The winner of this competition is Leslie Budge, who is at Lel Budge, L-E-L Budge on Twitter. Yeah. Congratulations, you've won the book, the two books and the T-shirt. Yeah. Most We're... importantly, the T-shirt. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well done. We'll get that all posted to you as soon as possible, subject to, of course, being allowed to go out and post things, which um, is genuinely <laughs> something that we might not be able to do soon, but we'll, we'll find out. But if I can, we'll, I'll get that posted out as soon as possible. Um, and uh, who's on next week, Tarek? Next week, we have uh, a very exciting guest, someone I was very excited to chat to, uh, Neil Forsyth, who is the Scottish writer. He's written a few books, um, but he's probably most well known for his script work. Uh, Guilt was the last big thing he did, which was yeah, launched was... to BBC Scotland, then went on BBC Two uh, fairly recently, well, maybe a few months ago. Yeah, it's, it keeps coming back onto iPlayer as well, if you've mm-hmm. missed it. It's really worth watching. It's only four episodes. I remember, in fact, Richard Morgan on the podcast we had was watching it at That's the time right. and really enjoying it. Right. Um, but it is, it's a great sort of darkly humorous, twisty crime story. Yeah. Um, so definitely worth checking that out if you want. But yeah. yeah, we spoke to Neil about that, about how he got into screenwriting, well, how he got into author, uh, book writing, first of all, and then screenwriting. And he had lots of useful hints and tips as well. Yeah, it's a very fun episode. It's, it's, it's a very funny guy. You can see how the humour comes from. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah. Hope you uh, tune in for that one. And if you did enjoy this podcast, I'll do my usual plea to uh, please (laughs) rate and uh, review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us climb up the charts. And of course, if you want to get in touch with us, you can send us a tweet, which is at right underscore gear, or an email to podcast at rightgear.co.uk. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. We know most of you will be stuck in your houses so there's no excuse get in touch with us and let us know what you thought <laughs> of the episode i can't wait to see the, the flood of letters we get next week. <laughs> exactly or the floodgates are open now suggestions for future guests whatever you want let us know and we'll, we'll take all of that on board um but uh, that's all from us just now and all we'll do is we'll leave you with a few words about our notebook the page one notebook which i've already talked about and we'll see you next week see you next week the blank page To some, it's terrifying, an obstacle to overcome. But we prefer to think of it as an opportunity, a blank canvas to be filled with all of the adventures and characters in our head. So how to overcome that fear? Well, we all know the best advice for a writer is, write. Seriously, get words on the page and more will follow. But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those top thrillers you like to read. Or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? Structure and planning. As aspiring writers ourselves, we've tried many different methods to try and organise all the thoughts about the stories we want to tell. We've been there searching for a piece of scrap paper to note something down, or making a quick note on our phone in between meetings. Or sometimes we'll make a note in whatever notebook we're carrying or a document on our laptop so we don't forget that great idea. Let's be honest, it can all be a bit messy and it's easy to lose track of everything. And that's when we realise it's not just a story that needs structure and planning, but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well. And so we made page one. Page one is more than just another notebook. 
It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project, divided into easy-to-use sections that will help you plan your story, so that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. And then afterwards, once it's written, we realised you need to plan how to let people read it, so we included a section relating to submissions. Each one is designed for one project, whether you want to write a book, screenplay, a comic or any other kind of story. We truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps. We can't wait to read what you come up with. And remember, every story starts with page one.